Hi guys, this is Mag, and this is the You Don't Wanna Know podcast. I hope everyone is just doing super duper fantastic and everyone had a great um, spring break or Easter holiday weekend and that everyone's doing awesome. So I just wanted to start out this podcast by saying, um, I guess I got a lot to say. Okay, so the first thing, and this is kind of heavy, so I'm sorry for starting off heavy, but I had a very big tragedy in my family. Um, I don't know if I've ever talked about this, but my family um, has their own farm. Um, That's how we make our income. And um, Wednesday, I don't even know what day it is. Hold on. Um, Wednesday, the... It was the 29th, I believe, Wednesday. There was a just devastating fire that happened. Basically, what happened was um, it was in the shop. So we we don't have a barn. We have a shed and shop where we store all the produce for cleaning and like packaging and getting stuff ready and then storage in the cooler. And then the shop is where you fix things, obviously. So it started in the shop. We still have no idea two weeks later how it started, but it started and it um, took down the shop as well as the shed, the office, and part of a greenhouse. And that is just so much. It was so, so, so bad. Um, My dad, he built that shed. He built everything on that farm with his own two hands and it was his own, it was his dream, or it is his dream still. Um, so uh, on Wednesday when it happened, I got the text from my dad, and all I got was, the shed is in up in flames. And I got that while I was in school teaching, and I was like, okay, hold it together, pretend like this is not happening, get through your classes. So that's what I did, and then as soon as class was over, I went into my office area, and I just fell apart. Um, then I drove home, got my stuff ready, and then I drove home home, and um, it was insane because I just kept passing emergency vehicles, and once I finally got to my road, like a half mile before my house, that was um, cut off by a police officer, so I had to wait there for like three minutes to get through, and then when I was like um, an eighth of a mile away, I couldn't get through any further because there was like 20 vehicles in the way, so... I just ran to my house and I put on boots and went and just found my dad and asked what I could do. So um, it was kind of a cold day. It was probably 35 degrees and it was going to get to like 20s at night. And some of the plants in the greenhouse that was destroyed were still alive. So we worked on um, basically transporting all the plants into a greenhouse so they wouldn't die so we could save stuff. So about... A third, I want to say, of that greenhouse was taken out as well as the plastic. And um, just this week, we finally were able to uh, get all the metal scraps from the shed gone. And so it's just a flat concrete pad now. The greenhouse that was on fire is completely covered in plastic again. And that's going to be our shop area for the time being. But that's basically where we're at right now. So that long story, just to say that um, the channel that I'm a part of, the Titan Media Collective, they are doing a fundraiser for my family because they're just amazing, incredible, wonderful people. And that is happening the 15th. So that's 
this coming Saturday? Yeah, this coming Saturday. Or excuse me, not the 15th, the 16th. It's the 16th on Sunday at 3 p.m. So if you guys want to see that, it's got some trivia, some, um, I think it's like a, that one game where that's like soccer, but you're in a car. I can never remember what it's called. And then one other thing, one other thing. So it's like a big thing. But there's a GoFundMe page you can do. Um, we also have a registry on a Facebook page. It's called Rebuilding Geneva Lakes Produce. So I would really love it if you guys would check that out because it would just mean so much to me because, like I said, I grew up on that farm. And I'll talk more about it on that day. Um, but that farm is, that shed was just so much to me. Like, oh, so many memories. So many memories. And I, like... When it was winter time, we would store dirt in there, so I would have dirt fights with my brothers and sisters, just stupid little things like that that just mean so much to me, and it's it's so hard. It's so hard going there and just seeing nothing, honestly. It's, it's really, really, really hard, and it's even harder to think that, like, I have my own job, so I don't, I go there once a week, but my dad, my brother, and my sister, and my mom, they see it every single day, just the nothingness, and it's really, really hard. So once again, if you guys wouldn't mind going there, um, that is on Sunday the 16th, excuse me, Sunday the 16th at 3 p.m. I will put the link in the show notes to where you can go, and I'll also put the GoFundMe, and if I can, I'll try and put the Facebook page on there, but I don't know if you can. We'll find out. All right, on a lighter note, because we need that right now, we need lighter notes, um, I was on the Arbitrary Advice podcast, and it was so much fun. We talked about the Murdoch murders and all that stuff, or I shouldn't say the murders of them, but like the case on that. So I watched the documentary and I did some research and just gave my opinion on all the things, honestly. And we kept going on like little tangents all over the place. So it was really, really fun. I really enjoyed um, hanging out with B. She was pretty cool. So I will link that as well in the show notes. And let's get to an even lighter note. Um, the movie that I watched that I've been anticipating for so long was Shazam 2. And it was so much fun. I just, like I told you guys last time, I love movies where it's like body swaps. And that's exactly what this was. So it was just hilarious, good like action stuff, and they had like a dragon in it. So it was really great. So definitely recommend it. Um, and I feel like there was another movie I watched, but I cannot think of it. Um, Evil Dead Rises is coming out very soon, as well as The Boogeyman. So I will be talking about that as soon as I possibly can, because those look spooky, ooky, dooky, wooky. Very excited for it. Very, very excited for it. Um, oh, my phone went off. I apologize, guys. So, um, with everything that's been going on with my family, I have had about this much time. And if you guys can't see me, which you can't, I am holding my fingers basically together because I have had no time. Um, so I did my best. I, I dove into this case. Um, it's very, 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 very chilling. So, um, I just wanted to give you guys a case. I didn't want to ruin my streak of every other week, so I still did it. Um, I'm sorry, this might be a little short, just because, like I said, I've been so, so, so busy helping as much as I can with my family. So I hope you guys um, don't enjoy this at all, but I hope you guys are... What can I even say about this? Um, 
informed. There we go. That's a good word. I hope you guys are informed by this case because it's, it's pretty rough guys. Like, I don't know if I've ever had a case that's like stopped me in my tracks and given me shivers. Like I've thought cases were messed up, but this one, like this actually scared me like a little bit. So I'm going to talk about the case of Melanie Davis's murder. So this is really mainly just like going through interrogation footage, but it chilled me to see this guy talk. It chilled me. So on August 10th of 2012, a fire was called into the Hendersonville, Tennessee, to, in Hendersonville, Tennessee. Um, the body of Melanie Davis was found, but it was clear that she was not killed by the fire. There was blood all over the scene and where she was, and she was very disfigured. So obviously not the fire. Melanie was a mom of two. Her boys were Zachary and John. John, excuse me, Josh, sorry. Josh was 17 and Zachary was 15. She was a widow um, and a paralegal and she ran triathlons. So she was doing like everything. She was just incredible and triathlons are so freaking hard to do because it's not only like a marathon that's really impressive because it's like, wow, that's a lot of running. Like half marathons, even 5Ks are hard. Um, But a triathlon, you have to be good at biking, swimming and running. So like that's just insane. So Josh was in the house when the fire happened as well, um, but he made it out alive, luckily. Zachary was not there when it all happened, but he was eventually found by the police roughly five miles away from his home, and he was walking in the opposite direction. So police bought, brought in both brothers and started questioning them to try and figure out or see if they could figure out what was going on. And while the police were questioning or I should say detectives and investigators were questioning the brothers. Wow, I'm having a hard time. Sorry, guys. Um, They were also checking out the house and um, the path that Zach took to see if there was something that they could find. So what they did find was Zach's phone in the ditch, a knife on the kitchen floor, a sledgehammer with blood in it that was propped up in the laundry room. Um, They found... Oh, and on the sledgehammer, there was like a code, like it looked like a cipher kind of thing. Or excuse me, not a cipher, a code, like just weird symbols. And then they also found a cipher and translated the code to read Zed Requiem. And Zed, just a little let you know, um, that is, well, actually, I'll tell you guys later. I'll tell you guys later. They also found um, a whiskey bottle burnt in the fire, a shirt a notebook with two notes that were specific to the case and a bunch of weird internet history. So I will be coming to that, coming back to that. So both boys were not very emotional or emotionally distressed. I just, wow, distressed. Like you would think they would be because their house was on fire, but it wasn't like a devastating fire. It was very contained Um, and they lost their mom. And especially Zachary. Zachary was extremely flat in his speaking. He had no emotions at all. Actually, he had one emotion for a brief moment at the end of the investigation, but it was very, very, very scary to watch him talk. Joshua at least sounded like a person. He had some kind of um, range in his voice, but again, he was just, he didn't seem affected by it at all. 
So I don't know if this was him being in shock. And I know that you're not supposed to judge a person about the way they react to these things, but it just, it just didn't feel right at all, in my opinion. So they asked Zach about the murder and he said that he killed his mom, just flat out. He killed his mom with a sledgehammer. So on that sledgehammer, there was that code and they use a cipher to determine what it said. And it said Z-E-D Requiem. And Zachary's initials are Zachary Everett Davis. Well, that's his name. So his initials are Z-E-D, Requiem. And for those of you that don't know, Requiem usually translates to Mask of the Dead. So people, or I should say investigators, use this as kind of some kind of um, way to prove that he had malice of forethought. Like he, he carved that in there knowing something was going to happen. So once they got some information from Zach, they continued to interview him, but then they looked closer into what he was doing. So they looked into his internet history while everything's going on, and they found like usual stuff, video games, cheat codes, and jokes, just simple things like that. But they found apps on his phone, and one was a, so one was a serial killer app, and one was a torture device app. Um, in his search history, there was like a bunch of gory images as well as info on Junko Futuro's murder, Catherine Murch, and like an article on Catherine Murch and how she killed herself after killing her kids, the Louisville Chainsaw murder, an article on a trial of a cult leader in Ohio that killed a five-person family, um, oh, that killed five people in one family. Um, the exacto knife killings, and an article that was called Understanding Schizophrenia. So it was just kind of all over the place, obviously. Um, but they really saw, obviously, a lot of red flags. And it was very clear that he was very interested in um, murder. And I say that very quietly because I feel like my search history is going to be pretty weird too. So... Let's just not judge people on their search history, guys. I wouldn't get a serial killer app, though. That's just me. I would just, like, research it. So, a little different. Just a little bit. So, the um, investigators realized that they have the person who is the murderer in their custody. And they want to get him to talk. They want to find out what his motive is. So, they try to ask questions, kind of relax him, get to know him. And they ask him and Josh about... So this is a separate interview. So they ask him about his dad's death. And he says that his dad died in 2007 of ALS, which is the Lou Gehrigson's disease. But he said he wasn't affected by his dad's death, which they know wasn't true. I don't know where they got that information from. They may have asked his brother, but he is just saying like, no, didn't bother me. Didn't bother me at all. But it did bother him. So Zachary was a quiet and shy child, but after his father passed away, this got even worse. After the death of his dad, his mom, Melanie, wanted a fresh start. So they moved where um, they were located during the murder, which is that Hendersonville, Tennessee. And she also started to like work on herself and started to train. Um, you can see or find pictures of her from like younger years and you can see uh, pictures of all three of them 
And it's not that she's like out of shape in any way, but you can see her progressively like getting more in shape and she just looks incredible because like she's doing all the work. One weird thing that I did note is that both of the boys were kind of overweight and chunky when they were younger and like maybe three years prior to this. And now at the point of the murders, they were both very skinny. So I don't know if that's something weird or if like the family just got in this health kick or what, but I did note that. So in 2008, Zachary started to behave oddly, but that's all the info they would give. I don't know if it's because he was a minor at the time. They don't want to give any other information, but it was notice behavior. So Melanie was concerned and she um, brought him to a therapist for a very short period of time. But unfortunately, she pulled him out pretty quickly and no one really knows why. Maybe it's because he just didn't want to do it. But Zachary was diagnosed with um, depression and psychosis. He told doctors that he heard voices and one of them was his father. Um, Psychosis is actually onset of schizophrenia, but it is very rare in children. But it does happen. So who knows if this was a case where it was happening. No one really knows for sure. The voices also could be brought on by trauma. It's not necessarily the schizophrenia, but people that lose their parent and go through that huge trauma might go through something like that. So the investigators told Zachary that they knew um, everything. And he said, I killed my mom with a sledgehammer with zero emotion. And guys, it was so freaky. The entire interview or um, interrogation, I should say, he's just kind of hunched forward and his he was narrowing his brow like he was very upset and just looking through it. And he spoke like this the entire time with no movement in his voice. And it was just very low when he barely opened his mouth and it was just like this. And it freaked me out the entire time, the entire freaking time. They asked him how he felt when he killed his mom, and he said, I didn't feel anything. And there were so many points in this in this interview that I watched where I was like, wow, that freaks me out. And then I was like, that's just the worst, worst thing I've ever heard. And then he said something else, and another thing, and another thing, and another thing. And I was like, this just, I can't, I couldn't watch the whole thing at one, one sitting because it was so freaky to watch. And really all he said, well, most of the time he said was just no, sir. And yes, sir. And like, even that was like, oh my gosh, how can you do something like that? And then speak like this with so such like respect and being so polite freaked me out. So they asked him to recount his day and he said it started with him reading the book Misery by Stephen King. And it's very interesting because in this movie, um, well, the investigator, sorry, I'm adjusting the mic. The investigator says, isn't that the book where the um, main character kills the other people with sledgehammer? And he goes, yes, that, that's, that's right. In his monotone voice, he says, yes. Um, and the investigators were like, is that where you got your motivation? And he goes, um, the main character in that book broke their legs with a sledgehammer and I crushed my mom's skull in with a sledgehammer. So no, I did not get it from there. In reality, the movie has the sledgehammer and the book has the killer using an axe. So there is some discrepancies there, but he didn't say anything. 
that also led to investigators to think that he had malice of forethought again. But he said the book had nothing to do with it. And um, the only reason why he didn't use um, a knife instead was because he wanted to make sure he got all the vital areas. And he also thought about using a claw hammer. So great thoughts. Ugh, this is just, I don't even know. No words. He also admitted to doing the, this, to starting the fire and he thought it would kill his brother too. And later on, he goes to say that if he had the opportunity, he would kill his brother and he doesn't, well, he says he won't admit to why he would do it. So just, oh guys, he was just so horrible to listen to because that's your brother. And like, you can see these pictures of them hugging and like being so happy together And then it's just a completely different person. Like, you look at the pictures of him when he's younger and you're like, how did you turn into this? You know? It's just so sad. So the police started asking Zachary about the fire. And he said that to start it, he initially wanted to pull the lawnmower up and use the fuel tank to start the fire. But he wasn't strong enough. He couldn't pull it up. So he used the whiskey bottle, hence the burnt whiskey bottle. He said that um, he hit his mom about 12 times and he did it so many times to make sure she was dead. And then he checked her pulse to really make sure he's, he was, excuse me, she was dead. And he also said that he had thought about killing his mom for several years. So just absolutely horrible, absolutely horrible. So after that, the investigator asked if he had any issues with his mom if she was like a bad mom and maybe that's why he did it because they really just want to know the motive because motive is a huge thing when prosecuting people. But he said that he had no issues with his mom and she wasn't a good or bad mom and he wouldn't like place her anywhere, which kind of makes you think he had no emotional connection to her or I guess that's kind of a stretch. Um, Maybe that like he just didn't care about her enough to put a label on her. I don't know. They asked if he loved his mom, and he said somewhat. And they asked him how he could somewhat love her, and he didn't give an answer. He just kind of shrugged. So the people went, or excuse me, the police went through his phone to see if there was any evidence, and they found those two apps. But they also found exchanges of text messages between him and his mother and him and his brother. And they were more normal, if not kind of loving because they had like sent smiley faces back and forth and hearts back and forth. And it was just nice, you know, like I don't send that stuff to my brothers. So I guess maybe I do it to my sister he- sisters here and there, but really not that much. And they even went to a movie the night that everything happened. So it was just very, very strange. The police also found an, like the notepad thing on his phone. And there was this long message typed out um, like about his teacher and how he hopes he doesn't ruin their relationship. And it specifically says Thursday, March 29th, 2012. I saw Mr. Voss at school today from what I, Oh, excuse me. From the way he looked at me, I could tell he hated me. I didn't, uh, Oh gosh. I didn't know what to say to him. So I just kept walking. I really hope I can repair our friendship before I leave Tennessee. He is the only person I've met that has sincerely cared about me. Hell, he is like a father to me. I don't know what I did to cause this, but I hope I can be forgiven. Mr. Voss is the only true friend I've ever had. 
So this message is huge. And the text messages are also huge because that just shows that Zachary has emotion and has feelings, but he's just like choosing to not show them or something. And this makes the investigators believe that he's like putting on some kind of facade and they don't really know why. Like he's playing a game, honestly, because the text messages honestly are sweet and there's no like hate or annoyance behind them. They're just nice, you know? So it's really strange. The police actually ask um, Josh, Zachary's brother, brother about their relationship And he said that Zachary really liked to be on his own and that he's a quiet and odd person, but he really didn't speak on their relationship too much. That was honestly all he said was that he was quiet and they asked him to go further and he just said like he's quiet and odd. That's about it. So the police start to go over the events that happened that night. So like I said, all three of them went to a movie and that was around eight o'clock when they got home. Josh went into the room where his mom was. It was her bedroom. I should just say that. Um, and they had a little conversation and they did like a little core workout together, which was cute. And that all happened around nine o'clock. While this was happening though, Zachary was in the game room of their house planning everything. And he actually was waiting for everyone to fall asleep. So around 11 PM, he went into his uh, mom's room and killed her with a sledgehammer and then went back into his room and he started a fire. But when he left his mom's room, he locked the door on the way out so his brother couldn't help her. And if she was in there, she'd have a hard time getting out. But he, like I said, made sure she was not alive. So the fire went alarm went off eventually and it woke Josh up. It took him a minute because he thought it was something in his room because he had like a game council and stuff. But he was freaking out because he realized it was the fire alarm. So he was running around looking for his brother and he could not find his brother. So he ran downstairs and went to his mom's room. And because the door was locked, he had a hard time getting in there. But he broke down the door and he saw his mom in just the state she was in. And he realized that she was gone. So he ran outside. While this was all happening... Zachary was running out the door, trying to get as far away and leave town very quickly. He literally was running. He ran out the door as soon as he heard the fire alarm. So the police came to the fire, or excuse me, the police and the firemen came to the fire and started to put everything out and kind of contain the scene. Zachary was leaving, like I said, and he stopped at a Thornton's, which is a gas station, And he bought a Pepsi and he was on his walk until the investigators picked him up. So like I said, the investigators found um, this notebook, which somehow survived the fire. So that's lucky for the investigators. And they specifically asked him about this note. And Zachary said that he wrote it in the last two days, like part of it here, part of it there. But in reality, they realized that it was made about two years, about a year ago, from what I understood. And this is what it said. After reading dozens of news reports about killers, I believe I found several consistent reasons why most killers are caught within a year. They rely too much on civilization. Most killers hide in a heavily populated area or easily accessible area. They don't migrate 
to other areas after several several kills in a row. This makes the police in the area more alert and the citizens more cautious. Most rely on rely too much on firearms or other weapons that produce loud noises. This will attract unwanted attention to their location. So honestly, it just sounds like he's obsessed with serial killers. <laughs> As I say that, I'm like <laughs> sweating a little bit. Um, maybe he's trying to play the role of one is what some people were thinking in this case. So who knows if like he's just trying to portray this or if he's just obsessed with them and wants to figure out them and all this stuff. It's really hard to say, obviously, because he does not give anything. He'll answer questions, but he will not give up a motive for this. So the police ask him about the knife that they found, and it was right next to the patio door on the floor. He said that he was going to put that in the backpack with him to use, but I guess it fell out maybe when he heard the smoke alarm and started running. Um, the police asked him what he was going to do with it, and he said the same thing as the sledgehammer. So one of the investigators go, so you were planning to kill again tonight? And his reply, for some reason, this one like really, really got me. He goes, only if they got in my way. In his cold, monotone voice with his head slanted down looking at you under his eyebrows, he said, only if they got in my way. It's just disgusting. Like, ugh, so horrible. So police were getting really annoyed with Zachary at this point because it felt kind of clear that he was putting on an act. Like, he was speaking so monotone, which people don't do. He was looking through his eyebrows, which people don't do, you know? It just didn't seem right. They wanted to see if they could, like, break him out of this, so they just continued to ask him questions. They asked why he'd want his brother dead, because he knew that they had a good relationship from the text messages, and they actually talked to the brother, and the brother said that he got in trouble in school because some kid was picking on Zachary, and Joshua stood up for him and actually, like, I don't think he, like, beat up the kid, but he did something. I don't, it wasn't very specific, Um, but he didn't, he just didn't know. He didn't have a reason why he wanted to take away his brother. So while they were um, speaking with Joshua, they asked if he always spoke in that monotone voice. And the brother just said, yeah, no, he just, he's always been this way for as long as I can remember. He's always just spoke in a very monotone way and very quiet. No, like no event that started it. So at one point, they actually directly ask Zachary, are you doing this on purpose? Is this normally how you talk? If we ask someone else, are they going to say, yeah, this is how he talks? And he's like, yes, they will. This is how I talk. And the investigators go, so you just speak with one level, no emotion. And he's like, yeah. And they ask, do you laugh ever? And he's like, yeah, sometimes when something's funny. And they specifically ask for an example because they don't believe him. And he goes, and direct quote, I was laughing my ass off when I killed my mother. Sorry for the profanity, but that was a direct quote. And the investigators were kind of just taken back by that. So I forgot to mention this. The investigators have already asked him how he felt after his mom or after he killed his mom. And he said he felt nothing. So this kind of contradicts his statement before that he felt nothing if he was laughing. But then his answer to do it, the next question kind of makes you 
kind of makes an exception. The investigators asked him why he was laughing and he couldn't give an answer. He didn't know. He didn't have an answer for why he, why he was laughing. So maybe he felt nothing and was laughing. But it's still weird. And I think the investigators could were showing a lot of frustration and he sensed that. So he wanted to agitate them more. That's just my guess. But he said that he wasn't sure why it was happening and that he was just laughing and he, he couldn't give him an, an answer. That is actually a symptom of schizophrenia. Laughing at inappropriate times or it would be laughing at the hallucinations you're seeing. I don't know if you guys saw the Joker movie with uh, Joaquin Phoenix and how he had that disorder where he would laugh in serious moments and he had schizophrenia. If you didn't realize from the movie, they were trying to portray schizophrenia. So the investigators are just getting super annoyed and because they've been interviewing him. I guess it wasn't actually that long. I think it was at 30 minutes at this point, but I think they were just getting annoyed by him and his answers. So they just kept going and pushing until they would get a reason. So they asked, like, why did you do this? You obviously have a reason. You just don't want to tell us. Just tell us the reasoning because we need to know. And he just goes, I have no new information to give you. So I just think he's so freaking smart. He knows exactly what to say. And he's holding back the information that will get him in like deep trouble. I think I could be totally wrong, though. It's just he seems so smart. So the the detectives keep pushing him and pushing him and pushing him to give more information. And he finally does. And it's actually pretty horrible information. He says that he was raped by a family member when he first moved to Tennessee in 2008. And his mom didn't believe him, which breaks my heart to think about. His mom said that or she thought that it was just his imagination. So in that notebook that I told you guys about, one of the notes in the book talked about him being raped and how he wanted to kill the person that raped him. And then it also talked about his mom's death and not feeling anything. So this the second note was post-murder. Um, he said that he doesn't, didn't feel anything and the only regret was that he didn't make it shorter so she didn't suffer. So it almost seems like he was battling something like she had to die. He didn't want her to die, so he made it quick, but she had to die in his mind. So the investigators asked him about him being raped, and um, he said, did, did, did it keep going on? And he said that it stopped, and they asked him why, and he or why he thought it stopped, or whatever. And he said that he stopped bathing, or bathed very, very, very rarely, um, just randomly when it got really bad, I guess. And because of that, he was never raped again. And that's, or at least that's what he believes because he stopped bathing and showering altogether. And actually in, um, some of the crime scene photos, you can see like multiple sticks of deodorant. So who knows? Maybe that's true. I feel like the investigators would have talked about it more if he smelled bad, but maybe he was doing that Andy Dwyer shower where he just used like wet wipes or something just trying to add a little comedy to this horrible 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 story so at the end of the interrogation they feel like they have got as much as they can from this guy the last thing or one of the last things that one of the investigators ask is why or if he always stares at people like that like if he stares at people like that and why and he gives like a little smirk, which is the only time, I kid you not, guys, the only 
time he shows any sign of emotion. And he's like, I didn't realize I was doing that. And the investigator like continues to go, go at it. And he's like, it makes you look evil. And you're probably pretty aware that you're doing it. And at that point, he gives like a little smirk. And he, he says he doesn't do it on purpose. And the investigator just goes, yeah, you do. Because the investigator knows he wants to seem evil. Because you just look at his text messages and his notepad and like other interactions that his brother has talked about. And it's just the person that was in that investigation or interrogation was not the same person that you saw or that was texting his mother and his brother, you know? So I don't know why he wanted to put that wall up, but he definitely did. And he almost took that as like a compliment too, when he said, you look evil and you're pretty aware of it because he, guys, he literally, a little smirk on the side of his face, like he tried to not do it. And he sat back, sat back in the chair and like almost relaxed. So it was just very, very, very uncomfortable. So after the um, interrogation, Zachary was seen by a doctor and he was diagnosed with schizophrenia. And he said that he didn't have the mental capacity for premeditation of the murder. And he wasn't capable of reflecting or using judgment during the murder. And this was probably the uh, product of a psychotic episode. The murder was. And he actually told voices, excuse me, told doctors that he heard voices in his head. And the voice was his dead dad saying that he needs to kill his mom. And that's what he told doctors. He actually was interviewed on Dr. Phil pretty quickly after the murder and after the conviction. And he told Dr. Phil, well, actually, excuse me, it wasn't, it was before the conviction. He told Dr. Phil that he killed his mom because she wasn't taking care of her family. Yeah, taking care of her family. So first he said he didn't know why he did it. Now he, then he told doctors that he heard voices and now he's telling Dr. Phil that he did it because she wasn't taking care of her family. So it's kind of strange. And in that interview with Dr. Phil, it was very short. He did the same exact thing. So Dr. Phil asked him about what happened and if he heard his mom make a noise when he hit her because like she might've suffered or something, she might've like made a grunt. And he said, no, I just heard the sound of um, the hammer hitting her head. It was like a sloshy noise. And he like smiled when he said that, like a little smirk, like what he did when the person said he was evil. And Dr. Phil said that that was just pure evil, like being next to him and that the prison guards, they just wanted to leave the room right away. They didn't want to be around him. So he just gives off this evil, evil presence. It's very scary. And I felt it. I felt it through watching that video. I felt this just evil. It's so scary. Two and a half years later, when he took the witness stand on his own trial in June, he said that he didn't kill his brother or excuse me, I gave away the ending, the punchline. He didn't kill his mother, his brother did. So that's four different stories that he said now. So after this, after he said that, his um, defense attorney tried to deem, an, deem him unfit mentally and to get the case to be labeled a mistrial. But unfortunately, that did not happen. 
And then after lunch break, the attorney tried to get taken off of the case altogether. But alas, his efforts did not pan out. And after all of that, Zachary was convicted of first-degree murder for killing his mother, attempted first-degree murder for trying to kill his brother through the fire, and aggravated arson. So he got 71-year sentence and is eligible for parole in 51 years. So that is the very sad case of Melanie Davis's murder by her own son, who scares the living crap out of me. So I'm sorry, guys, that was a little shorter of a case, but um, I hope you guys are informed and didn't hate it. Um, Once again, I really hope I can see you guys, or not see you, but I hope you guys come to the event that is happening Sunday, um, the 16th at 3 for my family. It would mean so, so, so much to me. As always, if you have any case suggestions, you can email me at ydwkpodcast at gmail.com. You can see pictures for this case um, on Facebook, You Don't Want to Know, and YDWK Podcast on Instagram. Thank you guys so much for listening, and I hope you have a great